You're listening to the Bright City Podcast. To hear more about our gatherings, groups, and what's going on in the life of our church, visit brightcity.church or follow Bright City Church on Instagram. Today's message is from Pastor Nick. So we are in the middle of a sermon series called Becoming Winsome. And part of this is, for some of us, it's just trying to figure out what is our place in this world. Like, have you ever just wondered, like, with all the chaos that's going on, uh, with everything that happens in this world, it, it, for me, sometimes it feels like I'm in the undertow of culture. And I'm being, like, swept out into the, the sea, and I'm like, I've got no control Jesus, take the wheel. Like, I'm just going to go ahead and float on to London, and that's my story. But when you read God's Word, there's actually something uh, that God's people have the ability and the power to be a part of, and that's becoming winsome for the kingdom. But the other piece of this is if you are signed up to that and you are aware of that and you really do feel like your life matters and that you have purpose and that God's doing something in you and through you when you go to work and the places you hang out and all the things that you do in life, there is this other part of you that's like, okay, I know that God's put me somewhere and I know he's put me there on purpose, but what on earth am I supposed to do? Like, is there like a manual for how this thing works? What if I feel like I've broken the relationships in my life? Like, what if I just feel like I'm just with a deer in the headlight look of my life of trying to figure out how do I become a light for those in my life? And so when we think about that, immediately, at least for me, I, when I think of how to be a light and how to witness for the gospel and how to be a presence for God wherever he has me, I immediately think of like this evangelist that's like out in the middle of the open with a bullhorn just going to town for Jesus. And it's like, okay, that's an interesting job choice. Like nothing against that. Like you've got reasons for doing that. But what about me? Like what, is, what does it mean for me? Like how am I supposed to become winsome without feeling the pressures of having a stadium ministry where I have people come or having a tent somewhere in the city and I'm like, all right, here we go. We're doing big tent revival. Like I'm from the South. Like those are my roots. And, and what, what happens when that's not me? And so I'm kind of trying to give us a plan for the rest of us. Is anybody else like that? You're like, yes, I see that. I value that. Praise God for those people. But what about me and my life and how I'm supposed to do things and how God has wired me and equipped me and put me in places in this world? And so kind of in week one, we talked about just being aware, like just as Moses was aware of God in that moment in his calling, like the first step is just being aware that God actually wants to use you to bring people into the kingdom. And that's pretty crazy. There's a lot of hurdles to jump over, at least for me, to get to the place where I feel like God wants to use me. But after that, and I see that there's this moment where God is calling me and he's sending me, the next thing that I have to consider is if I'm actually available. Here's the most beautiful thing about God, for better or worse, is God is not a bully, and he's not going to bully you into the things that he has for you in this life. And some of you are like, yes, I know that. I lived my college experience, and he just let me go. And now I'm here, and that is in the past. That's the old Nick. The old is gone, and the new has come. And so here I am. I have come to get coffee and hear the word of God. 
And so we, we have to be available to what he's doing. And, and so we've got awareness, and then we've got availability. And then last week, we talked about moving from available to capable. And so Moses kind of has this moment with God. And I think if we're honest, we would all kind of have this moment. It's like, okay, I'm aware of what God's doing. I, I, I feel available to what's happening. Oh, crap, I do not feel capable. And so Moses had this moment. He actually asked three questions to God or for God. And I think we would probably ask the same if God was sending us to be a part of somebody else's freedom. The first question is, who on earth am I to do this? Like, why on earth would you send me? Like, do you know who I am? Do you know what I've done? Do you know what was a part of my past? Do you know who I am presently? Do you know who I am? Because in fact, I sometimes don't know who I am. And God's like, just, hey, before you do anything, like, I, I want to tie into that identity. I want you to know who you are. I want you to know that who you are in Christ is exactly who you need to be for this moment. Like, God has put his identity in us, and who we are is just who God uses. Like, with all of our idiosyncrasies and all of our oddities and all of the things that we like and dislike and all the places that we go and all the things that we do, like, sometimes we feel like we have to get rid of all those things before we're used by God, and sometimes that's true, but for the most part, God has put the desires and the longings and the things in your heart so that He can use those things. So who you are is ready to be used by God if you're making yourself available. So Moses asked, who am I? And then he says, what on earth would I say? Last week we talked about how public speaking has a bigger fear in people's life than actual death. Like just that's, that's a lot. We can just sit with that for a second. Like people are afraid of doing this more so than they are of dying, which is incredible to me. And so when we have this moment, when we're talking to people, what will we say? And God reminds us that he is going to give us the words that he's going to say. We talked about how the Spirit speaks, to, speaks through us in the moment. And we don't have to come with a script. Like, does anyone else, like, rehearse a conversation in their head? Just me? Okay, all right. <laughs> like, I'm, I'm gearing up to have a hard conversation. And I'm, I'm saying what I want to say. And then I'm responding with what they're going to say. And then I'm talking back to their response. And then they talk back to my response, but it's not them talking. It's actually me talking. And so, you know, in the middle of traffic, people look over and it's like, that, that guy is having a conversation with himself. And now I'm scared. And they should be. What will we say? Here's another common question. What if they reject me? Has anybody ever felt that? It's like, oh man, like, uh, of course, like I want to represent Jesus. I want to say the things that I need to say. I want to talk about God. But what if they reject me? What if they don't like it? And so what happens in this moment is we get to realize that we have been fully accepted by God. And so if you have faith in Jesus, there's nothing that can falter the acceptance that you have in God's presence. How incredible is that? Like there, God has put his stamp of righteousness on your life. And I think sometimes when people reject us, it causes us to have doubt in our identity and who we think we are before the throne of God. And that's not the case at all. Like, if they reject me, well, they probably are going to reject me, and that's okay because he has given me the gospel of peace. He's given me the full acceptance of Christ, and so it doesn't matter what they think if the only thing that matters in my life is what God thinks. 
And when God looks at you and I, he sees Christ in us. We've been in Exodus, so we've kind of been talking around this idea called the Passover. This is when God's people celebrate the Passover for the first time. The thing I love about the Passover, granted this is coming from a guy who does most of his shopping at Trader Joe's, is that's, that's where I get my meat. But it, back in the day, before Trader Joe's, there was, there was sacrificing and killing and hunting and all these things that happened. And when they would bring the sacrifice before the priest... The priest wasn't there looking at the one bringing the sacrifice like, ah, the lamb's fine, but I just, I'm having a problem with your outfit today. Like, I just feel like the shoes are clashing with your tunic and, you know, you're layering tunics and I just feel like it's a whole vibe. And I know like the priest is not worried about the one bringing the sacrifice. He's only worried about the sacrifice. So when God looks at you, he is not worried about you. He's worried about Christ in you. When he looks at you, he's not looking at you, your failures and your wins. Let's just pause there for a second, because some of us think, like, if I can just do enough for God, then God will love me more. It's like, no, no, that's, that's not how it works. Like, I'm so glad that you are out there killing it for Jesus. But when it comes to your standing before God, it has nothing to do with us and everything to do with Jesus. So will we experience rejection? Absolutely. But let me pause before I go forward. You cannot give people peace if you do not have peace in your life. And so if you are carrying rejection already, it doesn't matter if they accept you or reject you. You already have a spirit of rejection. And if you are not willing to shed off that spirit of rejection from your past or even your present circumstances, you will not experience the full peace that Christ has for you. And you will not in return be able to extend the full peace that God has to extend through you. People will reject us, but the beautiful thing about that is we get to shake the dust off our feet and move to the next town, right? That's what Jesus said. He's like, hey, if you go and they don't welcome you, shake that dust off, go to the next town because it will happen. God wants us to have thick skin and a soft heart. And I think sometimes we have soft skin and a thick heart. And we're like, uh, I just, this, this really hurt me. Yes, it hurt me too. And, and, and this has offended me. And now I'm rejected. And God wants to move past all that. So this week I'm going to jump into a different direction. And it is going to be weird and it's going to be awesome, but it's going to be amazing. But it's also going to sting a little bit. So I'm just... <laughs> prefacing that if you were thinking about going to the beach you probably should have but that's okay you're here today I want to move from capable to confronting capable to confronting and so when you think about that word confronting I think a lot of us have seen it done wrongly, right? Like, I think it's just like, okay, there's enough confrontation happening in the world. And actually, I think it would actually be more of a breath of fresh air if there was a little less confrontation. And if that's what you're thinking, that's exactly how I think. I love confrontation 0%. Like, it is not my thing to love confrontation. I will do all things to avoid confrontation. 
I will do a lot for Jesus, and sometimes I will do confrontation, but I'm going to ask for the Spirit to fall, God to move, the seas to part, ask for a sign, and then I'm going to ask for someone else to tell me that I should do it, and then I'm going to ask someone to confirm that something that someone else told me to do it before I actually jump into the sea of confrontation. That's just how it works for me. I don't know if you would feel the same way. But kind of where I want to frame this is I actually want to start with a quote from a guy named by uh, a guy named Tim Keller, and this is actually from a PDF booklet that's called "How to Win the West Again." And here's why I love Tim Keller is because Tim Keller lives in New York, and things that are happening here already happened in New York like 10 years ago. So you're like, "Oh my gosh, have you tried this new restaurant?" And everyone's in New in New York is like, "That we we had that 10 years ago, like the boba, like all the boba places popping around." It's like. Yeah, we're on to something else. But that's as cute that you have your little boba spot. But, you know, we're, we're on to other things. And, and that's, that's what New York does to all of us. Um, so here's the quote. He's talking about what this means. He says, to clarify, a missional encounter. So this is what we're saying, becoming winsome, is not a withdrawal from culture into communities with little connection to the rest of society. So we talked about that. Like, hey, becoming winsome doesn't mean you develop a homestead lifestyle. I'm proud, I'm, like if God's calling you to do that, I'm sure there's a way to do that for Jesus to love people. But what he's saying here is let's not withdraw. Then he says, nor is it an effort to secure political power in order to impose Christian standards and belief on an unwilling populace. I read that slowly on purpose just so we can all catch up there. <laughs> Nor is it an effort to become so relevant that the church becomes completely adapted to and assimilated into the culture. So we talked about that. So much of our compromise has ruined the message that we have in the gospel. Yeah. We're so worried about dressing up the messenger that we care little about the message of the gospel. Moving on. Instead, a missionary encounter, so becoming winsome, connects, unlike the strategies of withdrawal, yet confronts, unlike the strategies of assimilation, and therefore actually converts people, unlike the strategies of the political domination. So what he's saying here is he's saying that there is a way where we can connect with people and participate in confrontation with people. And as a result, people will convert to the gospel that's being proclaimed in that moment for the problem that somebody has in their life. So we're moving from capable to confronting. But before we do that, I want to go back to Exodus. And I actually want to talk about Exodus 7 through 11. And so what we see here is a gracious and confronting God. I know you thought you were seeing Prince of Egypt, and it was a beautiful Disney movie of your childhood, and this was, has amazing moments for you, but actually there's something happening here that I want us to see. So there's 10 plagues that are occurring in Egypt during this time. And so what's so cool about this is this moment is actually historical. There's this thing called the Ipuwir, uh, papyrus, which is a scroll. It's very long and it was written in the 13th century and it has an account of all these things that happen. So when we're talking about this, this is not just like some Bible story that you learned in Sunday school class. This is actual history. 
And the other thing that's happening here is God is showing himself on one hand with ten plagues, and later he's going to show himself or reveal himself through ten commandments. So what's happening here is there's one to show people that he is the one true God. I think sometimes we take that for granted, like one true God. Okay, I get it. There's one God. But at this time, there was always only a million gods, and everybody worshipped everything. And so God's making a point here. He's like, hey, I need you to know that I am greater than all these other things. And so he's going to give them ten plagues, but then he's also going to do the ten commandments. And the ten commandments are what's going to show people how to live in abundance with that one true God. And you're like, no, 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 Nick, that was a bunch of rules. I was there in that Sunday school class. We rehearsed them. They told me I couldn't cuss out my mom. And so I, I, I was there for that lesson. No, it tells you how to honor your parents so that it'll go well with you in your life. And so these are blessings of abundance that God is speaking over his people. So here we go. These plagues are very weird, very random. But the more you dig into them, the more you see that God actually has a plan. Shocking, I know. All right, plague number one. We got slides. We made slides. They're there. They're coming. I believe it. I don't even know how to say that. Happy. This is the Egyptian god of the Nile. So back then, people actually worshipped the Nile River. They believed that that was the source of their life, just like we may or may not worship the beach. Just some of us throwing that out there. Next slide. This is the Egyptian goddess of fertility, water, and renewal. First of all, this god had the head of a frog, and this is where all the frogs came out and filled the places in this plague. I don't know about you, but that would have been game over for me. I would have repented. I would have confessed. I would have been saved. And then I would have done it again just to make sure all the frogs were gone. But this was an actual God of theirs. All right, next. Oh, you can go ahead. We're good. The Egyptian God of the earth. And so what happened was is out of the earth there would come a plague. And through that plague, they would expose and confront the, the worship that the Egyptians had for the earth. It is actually lice from the dust of the earth. I don't know about you, but we have had multiple lice encounters back in the days when the Connolly kids were younger, and I wanted to give up on everything. Like, I was ready to call it quits. I cannot believe that that would have been a plague that happened to everyone. All right, we're going to plague four. All right, so this is the Egyptian god of creation, movement of the sun, and rebirth. And so what happened here is this God had the head of a fly, and so God sent swarms of flies everywhere. Is anybody uh, noceums, those guys? Yeah, times a million. That's what I picture this happening. Next, plague five. This is the Egyptian goddess of love and protection. So usually this, and again, I don't understand it, but I'm not knocking it. This goddess was depicted with the head of a cow because nothing says I love you like a head of a cow. Maybe it was like a Chick-fil-A connection. I don't know. Like Chick-fil-A is good. And this is, but this is where God did the death of cattle and livestock. So then we go to plague six. This is the Egyptian goddess of medicine and peace. And so this is where God turned ashes into boils and sores. And so they thought that worshiping this God would cure the boils on their skin. But what they found out is that did not work. Number six, or no, we're on number seven. This is, I guess I'm going to say nut because that's like the easiest one to pronounce of all of them. Is the Egyptian goddess 
of the sky. And so what God did here was hail rained down from the form, in the form of fire. And so surely they would have been like, oh, goddess of nut, like stop <laughs> being nuts and raining fire from, from the skies. And that didn't work. And so all this time, they had been able to do everything they could to make this God stop doing things so that they could live in peace. But for whatever reason, this time, it would not work. And then we go to the Egyptian God of storms and disorder. Or as parents know this, from 5 to 8 p.m. If you know, you know. This is the plague of locusts sent from the sky. Then... We go to number nine. And if anybody, Night of the Museum fans, anyone? This is where it gets good. This is, this is my expertise right here. I'm just kidding. All right, so God, what he's doing is he is just starting off by just one by one confronting things that may or may not be important to them. But to mess with Ra was a slap in the face. This was the sun god. And so what happened here is God gave them three days of complete darkness. And so can you imagine this being the God that you worship and all of a sudden for three days, nowhere to be found? Like we experience this in our quiet times where we're asking God to do something and for free, three days, he does not confirm whether we're supposed to go on a date with that guy. Like just, right? Any, just me, but I've the only one been there. Okay. <laughs> but this is the, the, the darkness that happened in the land. The next one is Pharaoh. This was the ultimate power of Egypt. And so Pharaoh was the one who was born from the God of Ra. And so when God showed up and attacked Pharaoh, this was God saying that I am greater than all the other gods that you've ever had in your whole life. And so God is not just doing something haphazardly. One by one, he was confronting the things that they valued. He was confronting the things that they turned to. He was confronting the things that they found security in. He was confronting all the things that they clung to. And it was him showing them that he is bigger than anything and everything that they experienced. And so here's the other thing that God's doing, because I think if you're like me, you're like, well, well why would... Why would God do that? Like, why, why? Like, He is a loving and gracious God. Why would He do that? Every time before God did something, He would say, Hey, now's your chance. Like, hey, do, do you want this to stop? Do, do you want to confess me as the one true God? Do you want this to cease? Well, Nick, that's great, but we live in America and we don't have figurines, right? Or any. Thing like this like as far as I know I don't worship anything with the head of a fly anyone just just me okay so we'll talk later so if God is graciously confronting the idols it might be helpful to address or talk about what an idol really is or what on earth does this mean for us in 2023 so what is an idol an idol is something of disproportionate importance in our life. So here's what I mean by that. If it happens, it causes a great happiness over our lives because we got what we hoped for. And as a result, this is different than joy. Like joy is one of those things like you just have it when it's bad and you have it when God is good. But happiness is fleeting. Yep. And so it causes a great happiness in our life or 
if it doesn't happen, it causes an irregular disappointment and discouragement in our life. And this is also known as Saturday for any college football team. It's like, man, they lost again. Every year, Carolina thinks we're winning the national championship. I love it. It's like a great ride. We all get to assume that this is the year that we win the national championship. And then we eventually lose like the first two out of three games or something. But we're turning it around. Some of y'all are still praying. So there's these things in our lives that cause irregular disappointment and discouragement because they are disproportionately too important in our life. Moving on. Something you're unable to go without. So this is something that has a foothold or control in our lives, and as a result, we cannot function without it. So being sensitive to addiction, we got something, or we got into something because of the power that it made us feel, or to feel powerful when we did it, and before we knew it, it has power over us, and we can't get away from it. So we're unable to go on without it. Next, something that requires an irregular amount of our resources. So this is something that gives more of your time, your talent, and your treasure than God does. Ladies, I'm not talking about Target. We'll talk about that later. We're moving on, moving on. Don't, we're not looking guilty. Gentlemen, we have our things too. Save that for response time. <laughs> Lastly, something that promotes independence from God rather than dependence on God. So this is something that you are doing in your life and holding up in your life because you know without a doubt that you do not want to be dependent upon God. Like, let's just be honest, independence and self-sufficiency feel so much better. Am I right? It's a one-by-one, God was exposing these things in the Egyptian culture that fit into these categories. So one of Jesus' like drop-the-mic moments that happens in the Gospels comes from Matthew 7. And I want to read this, and I want to talk about what this specifically means for us. It says, Refuse to be a critic full of bias towards others, and you will not be judged. For if you'll be judged by the same standard that you have used to judge others. The measurement that you use on them will be used on you. So here we go. Why would you focus on the flaw in someone else's life and fail to notice the glaring flaws of your own? So this is Jesus in another translation. He says, hey, why are you looking at the speck in their eye when you have a plank sticking out of yours? How could you say to your friend, let me show you where you're wrong when you're guilty of even more? You're being, a hip, you're being hypocritical and a hypocrite. First, acknowledge and deal with your own blind spots. Then you'll be able, capable of being able to deal with the blind spots of your friends. And so when I read that, I don't know if you've ever seen those like roasting shows where people roast their friends and it's like, oh, that's so funny, that's so funny. Like this was a drop the mic roast moment. 
Because he was like seeing and looking around. And he was like, hey, this whole hypocrite thing isn't working. This whole thing that you've got going on, this isn't working. This isn't bringing peace. This isn't bringing the kingdom. And so how can we bring the kingdom into this world? And so what is happening here is scripture is helping us move from capable to confronting. But one of the first ways that we're going to do that is rather than confronting everything around us, we first have to confront our own idols. It's so much easier to leave a comment in the comment section, right? Like it's so much easier to post a social media post. It's so much easier to disassociate with someone because of how they're feeling and what they're doing and how they're treating you. But Jesus is like, hey, before you can, if if you feel like you're supposed to move from capable to confronting, before you can do any of the confronting that you think you might need to do in your life, you have to first confront the idols in your own heart. So let me ask it again. I'm going to read these questions again. What has a disproportional importance in your life? Before I read this, there is no shame or guilt if this is anyone, because if this is anyone, you are in the right place to hear this sentence. What's something that you're unable to go without? Like, hey, like, there's, there's no shame or guilt in that. Like, we're, we all become addicted to things. What's something that you give an irregular amount of your resources to? I think a lot of times when the church stands up and asks for the tithe, they think it's to keep the lights on, but actually it's so that we can keep the worship of money out of our hearts. That, that's, that's what it is. Like God's going to keep the lights on. And even if he doesn't, my house still has lights and we can meet there. And if we can't all fit in there, we'll meet somewhere else. God's going to do his thing. He's not after our things. He's after our hearts. So where are your resources going to that's irregular? Lastly, what's something that produces an independence rather than a dependence on God? I don't like to bring up COVID because it does all the things and all the people and all of our hearts. But here's what I think is, yes, it was a crisis for us in our world. But I think what really happened is I think COVID exposed the idols of our heart, right? Like, oh my gosh, like I can't, like this health thing, like I thought if I just ate right and lived right and worked out right, like I would live forever. Like I'm trying to like, like age hack and health hack my life. Like I'm going to 120, like God gives me 120 in the Bible. So I, I want to live all the 120. Like I want to keep going. And COVID was like, ah, just kidding. Like your health is not your own. And then money, work, it's like, man, I want to do these things. I'm supposed to be at work, and I'm supposed to be striving to do this. I'm supposed to be striving to do that, and I can't be at work. And then there were certain relationships. You're like, oh, my gosh, like I am stuck in a house by myself or either with someone that I don't want to be with. And so it just pulled the strings of our relationships. It pulled the things that we find identity in. Like, remember when you said, like, I am so-and-so, and I go to this place, and I do this thing for a living, and these are the things I like to do, and this is how I like to do them, and COVID just said, nope, just kidding. You don't go anywhere, you don't do anything, right? So it messed with our identity. It messed with our freedom, right? Nobody tells me what to do. Nobody tells me where to go. 
Nobody tells me how to live. Nobody tells me how I'm supposed to do this and that and that and this. Here's another big one. Fun, travel, leisure. Oh my gosh, in Jesus' name, that was the one that kicked me the most. In 2020, it was our seventh year, and we had this big trip planned. We were going to go visit uh, family in Bangkok, and then we were going to go from Bangkok to Australia, and then we were thinking about New Zealand, and so we're looking forward to this thing. We're trying to figure out how this thing's going to work, and then we're going to try to figure out what days work over the summer for us to do this, and then we've got four kids, so we get the kids going here, and this happening here, and then we've got the dog, and we figure this out, and we figure that out, and we figure this out, and then it's, oh, just kidding. We have figured nothing out. And it was like a huge disappointment between God and I. And then lastly, there's our Nile River, the beach. Sometimes the beach wins. Like, I get it. Like, man, how incredible is God's creation, right? Like, I hear all the things being a pastor. So if I see someone, someone somewhere... It's always the like, hey, pastor, I just want to let you know we weren't at church because, you know, we was out in God's creation. And I feel like God's creation is just as good as God's creation of church. And when I'm out there on the water, I just feel God's presence with me. And I'm like, that might be true. But also you, you sound a little defensive. So let's <laughs> I, we're, I'm I'm not keeping attendance. There's no attendance happening in this moment. The beautiful thing about this moment is we continue to grow, and I don't see one person. I see all the people. So, no, you know, there, there's no attendance happening in this moment. So here's a question I have when it comes to confronting the idols of our own heart. Have you ever thought about disappointment being the guide in the radar for our idols? Like, have you ever thought about that? Like, what are the things that we just are disappointed when they happen or don't happen, right? And listen, like, there are some things in life. When that trip didn't happen, I had to, I had to talk to God. Like, we had, to, we had to talk this thing out. Like, I had to figure out what he was doing, and he had to impart in me some things that he was doing in my life and I needed to get out of the way of. But I think when it comes to the idolatry of our heart and the things that we have in our heart, disappointment is the best barometer for chasing down an idol. What are the things that just cause a deep disappointment in your life? So this is what God's doing. is He's calling us to confront our idols. He's calling us to say, hey, what are the things like Egypt that we are putting our hope in that are ultimately going to disappoint? And then here's where the becoming winsome part happens, is once we confront our idols, we get to connect and comfort others. Here's the key, when God confronts their idols. And here's where I think the church has gone wrong. I think that we have taken up the mantle where we need to feel like we are telling everyone all the things that they are doing wrong. But the more and more I walk with God, the more and more I see God in this world, the more and more I see God doing the things that he is doing, God is going to graciously confront the idols of the people in our, in our worlds. Like he's just going to do it. And our job is to be there and be a connection to people and comfort them while it's happening. Like that's what God's calling us to do. 
And so God is going to do the things that he's going to do. And when I see this in scripture, I see this in the prodigal, right? Like the prodigal loved to travel. There was this big vision that I'll move and I'll be in the big city and I'll just create this ideal life for me and I'll live and I'll go out and I'll do this and I'll have fun and I'll make friends and I'll have relationships. And what happened is all of that stopped and as a result, he became extremely disappointed and discouraged. And so what I find is that God looks more like the father of like, hey, I'm going to let them go and I'm going to let them choose their way. But I need you to know when they come back, I am looking for them. I'm ready to embrace them. I'm ready to celebrate them. I'm ready to have the party. I'm ready to restore them. I'm ready to redeem them. I'm ready to welcome them home. I'm ready to kill the fattened calf and have the brisket. Like I'm ready to do all the things. And I think the church has stepped in and said, hey, let's micromanage that. Actually, we're going to tell them everything that they're doing wrong. And we're going to tell them all the ways that they've fallen short. And then when they come home, we're going to give them the cold shoulder. That's not the heart of a father. And so when it comes to having people around us, we become winsome when we let God graciously and lovingly and surgically confront the idols of other people in our life. So how do we do this? graciously and lovingly. Three quick things. Number one, we remain patient in their lives. God's at work. We see it. We acknowledge it. We don't tell them, I told you so. We tell them, I'm there for you. Right? Here's another big one. Don't tell them you understand because you don't. No one has lived the life that you lived and you haven't lived the life that they've lived. And so you discount and give up your footing and favor in their life when they tell you the deepest part of their heart and you're like, oh no, me too, sister. Like me too, I've been there. And it's like, well, were you raised by a single mom? No, 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 but I I understand what you're talking about. Well, did you ever experience sickness growing up? Well, I mean, I had a friend who, and so eventually we start backpedaling and it's like, hey, like it's okay to not know everything about everything, right? Like I think sometimes with the church, we have to feel like we know everything about everything and we know everything about everyone. And that's, that's not what God does. Like, if you ever watched Jesus sit with people? He just sits with them. Hey, tell me more. Tell, tell me why you're here in the middle of noon. I know why you're here. you got five husbands, and the one you're with is not your husband either. But why don't you tell me what's going on? Like, if the one who knew everything, and his name was Jesus, who knew everything, didn't assume and speak over people and talk over them and, and tell them he knows exactly how they feel when he was the one who knew exactly how, he felt, how they felt, why would we ever do that? Why would we ever do this? We'd be patient. Next, we remind them of the promises of God. They may not know the promises of God, but that's okay because we do and we can help with that. When there is a great shaking in people's lives, God would confront them and remind them who he is. Like this is the prophetic writing. Like every time you read the prophets, it's like, hey, I just need you to know this is where you've gotten off off kilter. This is where you've wandered. But here's the beautiful thing. I'm here to remind you of restoration. 
I'm here to remind you that this is not how it's supposed to be. I'm here to remind you that there is abundance ahead. And I'm here to remind you that we are going to a place where there'll be no more tears. There'll be no suffering. There'll be no more pain. There'll be no more strife. Like we are going to perfection. So if you don't feel perfection now, that's okay. So you remind them of the promises of God. Here's the deal. If you don't have the promises of God, you're not going to be able to give the promises of God to somebody else. So do you have the promises of God? So when God's confronting, we remind them of the promises. And then lastly, we offer peace and become a place of peace for each other. Like Jesus did this so well that like he would sleep when the storm was going on, right? Like... Like clearly there, like you think in chaos, there's not idolatry. It's just like, oh my gosh, that's a storm. Well, I don't know about you, but sometimes when storms happen in my life, they expose idols in my life. And Jesus is there sleeping through it all. So the question is, is if you worship Jesus and you trust Jesus and you profess that Jesus is the one true God, do you have peace? I think sometimes we are, I want to be so careful on how I'm saying this. We celebrate anxiety and worry and all these things as a badge of honor, but that's not the gospel. That's not abundance. It might be where you are now, but it's not where God wants you to be for eternity. Like God is a God who delivers and frees and takes people out of the bondage that they are in. And so if you have an anxious heart, if you have a place where you don't feel like you have that peace, then I encourage you to go to the Prince of Peace who gives all peace abundantly and without fault. And so we have peace. So when God is confronting someone in their lives, we are patient, we remind them of the promises, and we extend that peace to their lives. And so I know that sometimes we think as Christians, we're supposed to be the moral referee for all of creation. And we're supposed to blow the whistle anytime anything happens. But here's something to try instead. Confront the idols of your own heart. Confess, repent, believe, receive refreshing, and be there when God confronts the idols of your neighbor. It's just that simple. So if you're sitting there and you're like, Praise God, because I just have a hard time confronting people. Like, that's incredible, because God does it. He does it over and over again, because He does it over and over again to us. And so what happens is, is we get to be at a place where we're there for people, and we see the storms that's happening in our life, and we see the things that are being exposed in their lives. And rather than offering them the I told you so message that you think you need to give them, you offer them the gospel message of hope, redemption, restoration, peace and deliverance that God has for his people. The goal of God is not confrontation for confrontation's sake. The goal of God is confrontation for freedom's sake. So in the name of Jesus, let's stop playing around with bondage and let's step into the freedom that God has for us. And when we step into that freedom that God has for us, then we cause other people to step into the freedom that God has for them. So in the name of Jesus, stop playing around with I idols, be free and help others be free. And that's how you're going to become winsome. Let me pray. Father, I just pray that you would just deal gently with our hearts. God, you are so gracious. You are so loving. You never offer us, and I told you so, talk. You offer the biggest parties. You offer celebration. You offer redemption. 
you offer forgiveness, you offer hope, and you offer joy. Father, we're just here to say that Jesus is the way. He is the way. Everything else disappoints. So, Father, I just pray that we would turn to the one thing that doesn't disappoint. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening in to Bright City. If this was encouraging, we'd love for you to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you're an owner at Bright City, you can give online at brightcity.church or on Venmo to Bright City. Before you go, we'd love to speak this benediction from Matthew 5 over you. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. We love you, Bright City.